This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, June 22, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Police like to seize property without charging the owners with a crime. In Texas, as in many other states, reform is coming. But in the Lone Star State, more than a dozen pieces of legislation to fix so-called civil asset forfeiture failed in the final days of the legislative session. Arif Panju, an attorney at the Institute for Justice, discusses the reforms that would have rolled back policing for profit. Asset forfeiture has taken on a sort of a new life as a public policy issue just in in recent years with some uh, high-profile cases. Of course, the Institute for Justice has played a role in making some of those cases uh, high-profile. long time ago, the Cato Institute really began working on this issue with people like Henry Hyde. There was reform, but the state level is where a lot of this has to happen. So Texas had a unique opportunity in this last legislative session to make some changes. What happened? Well, there were 13 pieces of asset forfeiture reform legislation introduced, both in the Texas House and in the Texas Senate. Every single one died before the end of session. And it's not because people weren't out there trying to advocate for reform, attending committee hearings, and providing compelling testimony. And it's not because you had one party or another party jockeying for political position. These bills were introduced and sponsored by members of both parties, Republicans and Democrats. It really failed because law enforcement lobbied hard to preserve the status quo. So these pieces of legislation, if you can go down the list here of of what the proposed reform was, what was the most substantive reform uh, in, the, in these 13 pieces of legislation? Five core areas. And these five, these were actually five different bills. They all got voted out of the House Criminal Jurisprudence Committee. They all died in the House Calendars Committee, which is a committee that sets floor votes. And that's very telling if you've voted these things out and they can't even get a floor vote, even though the committee feels otherwise. The first one was a, a bill that addressed the burden of proof. And it did something very simple. Uh, in asset forfeiture, law enforcement must have probable cause, and then they must, by a preponderance of the evidence, so more likely than not, they have to show that there's some kind of nexus between the property they're trying to forfeit and keep for themselves and an act or omission that gave rise to the forfeiture. And the bill just wanted to increase it uh, to clear and convincing, uh, which is higher than preponderance of the evidence, but below, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, that failed. Another bill that failed was related to the innocent owner defense. Let's say that I lend my car or my grandmother lends me her car and um, I'm uh, you know, driving erratically. I get my third DWI. The officers uh, take and seize my car and want to forfeit it. They sue my car in civil court. My grandmother wants her car back. Well, Texas has an innocent owner defense under its statute, except the burden is on grandma to intervene, hire an attorney, and prove her property innocent. And this bill would have done something very simple. It would have shifted the burden of proof onto the government uh, and not on grandma. That bill died. Interestingly, reporting bills died. There were several of them. But in effect, a reporting bill uh, was put uh, into a piece of legislation that said, for every forfeiture, we just wanted to have a simple uh, list of information. We want to know what was taken. Was there an arrest or a conviction? What was the disposition? And what happened to the property? Law enforcement already tallies all their cash and property and submits grand totals at the very end. But we have no idea what these forfeitures look like and whether there's even arrests or any convictions tied to them. Those bills died. Those are simple transparency sunshine bills. And 
the core argument against that, and I remember distinctively hearing about this um, in one of the committee hearings, and that is, this will end forfeiture. Now, this is just a transparency bill, and that uh, testimony came from the Houston uh, prosecutors who rely on forfeiture for one-third of their equipment and supply budget. That's a significant amount that they're raising themselves. Um, there's two other bills, which I should mention. One of them is an attorney fee provision, and effectively says if the government fails to forfeit the property once they uh, sue it in civil court, uh, that the property owner can recoup their attorney's fees for you know, hiring an attorney in civil court and getting their property back. As you know, this is not a criminal proceeding, uh, which means there's no um, right to counsel. And a lot of property owners either don't have the funds to hire an attorney or it's not worth it because the property is only a couple thousand dollars and the attorney will cost a couple thousand dollars. That bill also died. Um, you know, there were variations of those bills as well, but one, a very important one, uh, which completely died in committee, was very simple. It was a bill that said, if you want to take someone's property, you have to first obtain a conviction. And of course, that didn't go anywhere. And that bill died completely. In fact, that bill was sent to a committee in the House, in the Texas House, that is notorious uh, for being the place where bills go to die. And, you know, unlike the other bills that I just mentioned, which were sent to the Criminal Jurisprudence Committee and actually got voted out favorably and never got a floor vote because they died in the Calendars Committee, that last bill, the one that deals with requiring a conviction before you can forfeit someone's property, never even made it out of committee. And that's really the story of forfeiture reform this legislative session. It's amazing to uh, see how effective uh, law enforcement can be in helping secure, or in this case, stop uh, certain pieces of legislation. And it's, it's worth noting that, uh, as you, you pointed out, uh, in the idea of recouping attorney's fees or switching the burden of proof, all of those, I strongly suspect, are aimed at people who don't have a lot of assets, low-income people who uh, probably in many ways already feel sort of disenfranchised and alienated from the idea that they would get a fair shake in a court. You're absolutely right. Uh, the majority of these forfeiture proceedings result in default judgments. So the state files a lawsuit against the property, state of Texas versus $3,230, or state of Texas versus a 2004 Chevy Silverado, an actual IJ case. And if the property owner does not intervene, um, that property um, belongs to the government after a default judgment is entered. These reforms would have made that more difficult because it shifts the burden. It allows grandma to not have the burden on her shoulders if she's an innocent owner. And frankly, the transparency bills would have acted as a check as well, just like many sunshine laws often do, by demonstrating that many times there's not even an arrest, yet alone a conviction, when a forfeiture proceeding uh, comes to an end and property uh, goes from private hands to the government's hands. And in Texas, up to 70% of the proceeds, whether it's cash or property, ends up with the local department. Now, for a, a place like Houston, uh, if they're raising, as you say, a, a third of their equipment budget uh, with forfeiture, it makes you wonder, what do they do when business is slow? <laughs> you know, that's it's a really dangerous incentive. It takes the incentives that you'd want with law enforcement and flips it on their head, where you have more policing for profit um, occurring and not so much 
uh, policing for other things that you would expect law enforcement uh, to engage in, protecting uh, the public. Instead, you've got officers asking uh, cars that are getting pulled over if there's any cash in the car. And you know, people recognize that there's something inherently wrong with that. And when people are being uh, exposed to forfeiture and seeing how it works and learning how uh, all these stories of uh, real-life situations have really impacted and hurt people um, and who have never been convicted of a crime, yet alone arrested, uh, the public's opinion is turning sharply against the continued status quo with civil asset forfeiture. Sadly, in Texas, um, although that message resonated loud and clear in committee testimony and in the offices of uh, different members, and of course with a lot of legislators who brought these bills and filed them. Behind the scenes, the law enforcement lobby made clear that this was not going to go anywhere and had uh, the ability and the political connections to make sure that even if they got passed out of committee, they would never have a House floor vote. And that is something that we'd like to see change. And that's something that we are working every day, along with all our partners that have been doing great work, putting more sunlight on the real problems with policing for profit and civil asset forfeiture. And we'll continue to push forward. Arif Panju is an attorney at the Institute for Justice. We spoke during the Voice and Exit conference held this weekend in Austin, Texas. Read more on civil asset forfeiture at our website, cato.org.